The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. So for those of you who don't know me, my name's Anna. Um, I'm on the leadership team at Artisan um, for, this is my fourth year now. As I said a couple weeks ago, I go by um, how many leadership team retreats I've been on. Um, and I'm going to, last week Scott gave a, a kind of a, the first part of this two-part series on justice and how we can do it locally. And he gave kind of the scriptural foundation for why we should be doing this locally. And I'm going to kind of talk a little about kind of flush, flush out a little bit more of um, what, you know, actual social justice means and what we can do about it to fulfill that call. Uh, just to get us started, I want to read a quote from uh, Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. It has long been a matter of serious moment that for decades we have studied the various peoples of the world and those who live as our neighbors, as objects of missionary endeavor and enterprise, without being at all willing to treat them either as brothers or as human beings. I say this without rancor because it is not an issue in which vicious human beings are involved, but it is one of the subtle perils of a religion which calls attention to the point of overemphasis sometimes to one's obligation to administer to human need. goes on to say, The masses of men live with their backs constantly against the wall. They are the poor, the disinherited, the dispossessed. What does our religion say to them? The issue is not what it counsels them to do for others, whose need may be greater, but what religion offers to meet their own needs. The search for an answer to this question is perhaps the most important religious quest of modern life. So to get us, um, just to get us started, I want to um, share just a few stories. It's not even stories, I just kind of want to introduce you to a few people. Um, these are people that I've worked with either on a kind of a, a pastoral care level or in the professional level where I work with people with uh, chemical dependency and mental health issues. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so first person, we'll call her um, Pam. She um, has two kids, is living, currently living, and actually I mean currently like today, <laughs> living in a home uh, that is infested with bedbugs, cockroaches, mice, and whatever else happens to show up. Her landlord lives in Las Vegas and is not reachable. Um, She's called the public health department. I've called the public health department to come in, and um, they've told her that it's up to her to pay for the, you know, to get rid of the spray and things like that. Um, And she also has difficulty actually being able to kind of speak for herself because she was um, beat with a baseball bat maybe four years ago. So, just again, we're just—I'm just going to kind of introduce you to some people. Just kind of file it away to be listening to think think about as as we're talking about other things. Uh, next person is—we'll um, call her um, Stacy. Um, she is someone who was recent when I met her. This is going back a couple of years. Um, 
had maybe been in her kind of Christian faith journey for maybe a couple of years, kind of new, new Christian, but really passionate, really excited about this faith. And it really um, was helping her feel grounded. And she was connecting with a community of people. She was a college student. She was young. She hadn't really been exposed to tons of church, um, lots of uh, church experience. And when I was meeting with her, it was after a few times that we had been meeting that she, she kind of started talking about how, you know, she said, you know, one thing that I never realized is that my sexuality, she was gay, is gay, my sexuality would impact how people view my faith. And it was, she didn't understand that this was something that, you know, was going to, um, that could, you know, cause some challenge and questioning and stuff from other people, from her, you know. And um, when she was like, but and this is this is who I am, and now I'm Christian, and why does why do those things need to be, you know, not work together? <laughs> um, okay, third guy. Uh, this um, on Tuesday, one Tuesday a month. I haven't gone in a while, but one Tuesday a month, I'm involved in this. Um, it's called a homeless sweep, and basically, um, it's a group of people who go out and at 10 o'clock at night escorted by police officers who go out and search out for homeless people because they're kind of on the move throughout the day. So um, go and find them where they are at night, offer them actually a room and food at a hotel in the city. Um, And then the next morning, which is where I come in, this where I came in this week, is we go in and basically meet with them at the hotel after they've had a night's rest, had a bed, a shower, and offer to connect them to resources. So... This guy was brought in on Tuesday. I did not meet him on Tuesday, but I came in to meet him on Wednesday morning. I was with a colleague of mine who called his hotel room and said, you know, are you coming down? The guy said, yeah, I'll be down in five, ten minutes, five, ten minutes. We waited 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Called him again. Yep, I'll be down. Finally, they let us in the room. And the room was, well, the bathroom specifically, which you could see when you walked in the room, was just covered in human waste. (laughs) and liquor bottles and things like that all throughout the room. So an opportunity to really help and connect with someone, help someone find some resources. And he had ended up, he had ducked out the back door. We never got to see him. Um, Okay, so just, again, like I said, kind of sit on those for a while. Uh, Last week, Scott gave us a compelling scriptural foundation and argument for why the church is called to act on behalf of social justice. Um, just to kind of, we'll just get us back into that mode. I'm going to read a couple of um, uh, scriptures that he talked about. Deuteronomy uh, 15:11. Since there will never cease to be some in need on earth, I therefore command you: open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. Matthew 25:32 through 40. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Um, And Scott kind of, after he laid out the scriptural foundation, he then used um, the incarnational model of Jesus, for those of you who are here, just kind of recap a little bit. The incarnational model of Jesus as the example of how to promote justice, how to act in ways of justice. Um, And, you know, Jesus kind of embodying man-God relationship, restored relationship, which really is what justice is. It's the restoring of something right, right relationship. So we kind of got the the scriptural basis, we've got the call, and now we've got to figure out what does this mean? What does this mean locally? What does this mean today in, you know, kind of modern society? And how how do we fit in? Justice is clearly a, um, a hot topic today. You can certainly go on any sort of social media websites or even read politics, you know, anything going on in politics today and know that justice is a very hot issue. Um, and mostly because it intersects that realm of the church and, you know, the culture around us and, and even the government. Um, for those of, I don't know, for those of you who read any Jim Wallace or Sojourner stuff, um, he just um, shared and he had written an essay or sent an email out the other day on amidst all of this heated debate going on with the debt ceiling and everything right now, um, Obama sat around with 12 faith leaders to discuss, and th- those faith leaders were there, Jim Wallace included, to discuss how to best represent the poor and the budget and things like that. And basic, you know, so amidst all of this stuff going on, Obama took 40 minutes to sit down and talk with faith leaders. This is how significant an issue it is, even in the government, to be, you know, wanting to care for the poor. Um, and just to help kind of put things in perspective, to just to kind of help this frame of mind that this is a significant issue, not only, you know, with us and with our church and our community, but, you know, in, in our country as well. When it comes to health care, government, um, you know, government-funded health care, in 1950, for every 25 people that paid into that system, one person was receiving from that system. In 2011, for every 2.5 people who paid into that system, one person was receiving from that system. Is this sustainable economically? We don't know. But is the church calling us, <laughs> is scripture, is God calling us to respond to this as a community? Probably. And maybe we can help where, you know, some of the other systems and organizations can't. Why is that? Well, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit now about the roots of injustice and some of these root injustices. So what, is it, what does injustice mean? What is, what is an injustice? What do we, and, you know, where does it come from? Walter Brugman talks about... Um, a model um, that includes three roots of injustice. He actually calls them roots of um, poverty or um, violence, basically meaning any sort of violation against someone's humanity or human dignity is violence. And three antidotes to those roots. Let me just read a little bit of, use some of his words first. He says, the model of social reality offered in Deuteronomy is that this community and all its socioeconomic, political, military aspects is relational, 
with each taking responsibility for the neighbor. The pervasive discipline to which Deuteronomy summons Israel is precisely to give up autonomy for the sake of committed neighborly relatedness. So the three roots of injustice or violence that he talks about are material deprivation. That's the first one. So that's just basically not having things. Food, shelter, clothing. Just straight out material deprivation, which we know certainly exists. <clears throat> the, second, the second route is social, a social connection breakdown. So whether it's, um, you know, domestic disputes or, uh, you know, for people who are mentally ill that aren't, maybe aren't diagnosed, aren't treated, and don't really know how to interact in society and, you know, have, keep jobs and things like that. Um, and paired along with these two, he talks about silence as kind of the, the catalyst that makes this just kind of breed and just get worse. So whether silence is the person who, a person who is oppressed not being able to speak for themselves or the people who maybe should be speaking for that person staying quiet. <clears throat> and as the antidote for those three um, uh, root causes for injustice, um, the antidote to material deprivation, he says, is sharing abundance. Now, we know that this is something that's a little more easily said than done. And somewhere, Glenn Beck's neck just twinged a little bit. Um, and the social connection breakdown, the antidote to that is acknowledging God's covenant to the, with the poor. So, you know, so acknowledging God's covenant with Israel, with us, with um, how we embrace relationships and connections and things like that. And in the antidote to silence as a root, is modeling speech that supports breaking of silence. And how do we do all of these things? So much of what this all comes down to is a relational deficiency, right? Is in how we rebuild relationships. And, you know, thinking about going back to some of those first stories that I shared with you, some of these people, we all have preconceptions. We all have misconceptions. We all have maybe accurate assumptions sometimes. But when it comes down to the root causes of injustice, whether it's just not having anything or not knowing where to go, or not having a support around you to help guide you in where to go? <clears throat> is, is, are there people at fault for that? Are there people who are victims of this oppression at fault for that sometimes? Sure. And does that matter? No. <laughs> because we still have a call to answer to that. <clears throat> so like I said, we talked about some of these, these roots of injustice... And some of the, um, the actual root, I'm, where's Liz? You're here. I might need to verify something with you. <laughs> Last week, I went to a luncheon with Richard Stearns. If you know Richard Stearns, is, he's the author of the book, The Hole in Our Gospel, and um, he's the current president of World Vision North America. And he talks about, um, it's the five fingers of, is it, is it poverty, Liz? The five-finger model? Okay, so it's something like that. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll get the idea. The, the model that he uses is this five fingers of, um, five fingers of poverty, oppression, um, injustice. We'll just lump them all into one. And those are food. Um, so a lack of food, hunger. Clean water and sanitation. And locally speaking, do most people around us have access to clean water? Probably. But... As I brought up that woman that we first talked about, sanitation isn't something that is naturally, you know, happen, you know, is naturally provided for everyone. So food, clean water, and sanitation, 
health, health awareness, health knowledge, medication, um, understanding of um, diet and nutrition and how to care for oneself. That's the third finger. Education, lack of or poor education. Um, and economics. So either whether it's um, uh, not no money or um, lack of understanding on how to use money or offering resources to help someone become self-sustainable. And in this model, he says that the palm of the hand is actually, you know, the spiritual nourishment. So what is it that helps all of these things become available or become, you know, what is it that helps get us to help these people who are lacking these things get to where they need and hold it all together once they get what they need and it's spiritual nourishment. When it comes to removing, um, you know, kind of removing some of these uh, issues, okay, so someone needs food, how do we remove the oppression of hunger? How do we move the oppression without removing, you know, the, the need to, the need for constant need? <laughs> how do we, how do we help people become self-sustaining? Um, back to another quote. We have uh, another, uh, um, the book When Helping Hurts helps kind of uh, express some of the ways in which you know, when we want to look at what works, when we, when we get to look at what artisan as a community can do to help in the ways of social justice, we need to look at what works, right? We need to see, okay, so here's some of the root causes. Here's what the problem is. What works and where can we, you know, fit in? Working in the system, I spend hours, um, hours most weeks in the um, Department of Human Services or the Welfare Office and other hours on the phone and in emails and stuff with that office. And watching the way things work when it comes to the, the system of caring for the poor that we are, you know, our, our community offers is that it overserves and under-equips the poor. We have multiple resources around. You, you probably couldn't go down to the end of the street without seeing several organizations knowing that there's, there are people out there. People, and this is not, you know, a bad thing. This is people, people care. People genuinely care for the needs of the poor. A lot of people do. And what our system does is it overserves and, and under-equips. It meets a need without providing some sort of self-sustaining um, resource. And in the book, uh, another, another great one on this stuff is called When Helping Hurts. And um, in the book, the author provides a model for this idea of, you know, he, he, it's a three-step model to help bring people out of oppression. And the first step is relief. The second step is rehabilitation. The third step is development. And in the, in the book, he uses this image um, of, you know, a, a person walking along a road and relief, which is the first step. So that's relief isn't just going in and meeting a need, you know, natural disaster victims, you know, just need to survive, right? So, but what that does, that meeting that immediate need actually in, in the image, you know, in the book is a, is a divot in the road. So that person can be met, their needs can be met, and they are going to be in this place because their needs are being met, they're going to survive, and that's it. Again, very, very necessary, but 
what happens next. Coming out of that divot is the idea, this idea of rehabilitation. So, okay, how do we make it so that this need does not continue to be recurring? And then in order for sustain, you know, this sustainability to keep working, <laughs> it's the, the third step is development. So that's this ongoing check on what can be done to, you know, um, help relieve all of the things so that we don't go back into that divot and we continue to move forward. And the church certainly, and, and, and certainly churches around do their best to meet needs, right? I mean, we, you know, we have food pantries and soup kitchens and um, clothing donations and things like that, which in Artisan is a part of those things too. And those are wonderful. And where I think the church is kind of missing its call is in picking up where the relief lets off, you know? So the relief is met. Who's taking care of the rehabilitation and the development? Um, author of When Helping Hurts, um, what's his name? Steve Corbett says, one of the biggest mistakes that North American churches make by far is in applying relief in situations in which rehabilitation or development is the appropriate intervention. So that's all well and good. So, you know, we get it, right? <laughs> you know, this is a problem. There's a solution. It's all ideologically wonderful. How does it actually work? Well, studies have shown, and, you know, and even in just, you know, with the people that I work with, seeing the difference um, that um, holistic approaches to removing oppression help. Um, so that means taking those, you know, those five fingers of, you know, injustice and combining that with those roots of injustice that, you know, in Brueggemann's model, you know, how do you combine these two to actually attack um, some of, you know, the oppression? So taking into consideration material deprivation, missed social connections, and silence, and how that can, how we can answer to those things that will help alleviate people's need for food, clean water, health, education, and finances. And just to put this also into perspective a little more, I have somewhere here. This is the um, Housing and Homeless Services Annual Report. This is from, this was released last May for the year 2009. I don't have this year's for some reason. Um, so this is, you know, um, you know, you've got the little Monroe County symbol up here, right? This is the, you know, this is released by the Department of Human Services that documents all of the emergency housing placements. Again, just using this as an example. <clears throat> so here's the first page. You've got a nice little bar graph, you know, um, talking about this. This goes from 2005 to 2009, and it basically goes over the emergency housing placements, the number, the numbers of emergency housing placements. In the first paragraph, it says the leading cause for emergency housing placements in 2009. The primary cause of homelessness in 2009 continued to be eviction by primary tenant, which means individuals and families residing in the home of relatives or friends are often asked to leave due to overcrowded conditions, substance abuse, domestic disputes, family breakups, and strained relationships. This cause represents 61% of the total emergency housing placements made in 2009, which is a 6% increase from 2008. 
I mean, it's just, it, it was kind of shocking to me to read in the first paragraph of a, you know, county-issued letter on emergency housing <laughs> that strained relationships are one of the biggest reasons for the need for emergency housing. Is that, you know, can, can any sort of system fix that? It's fix strained relationships. <laughs> Probably not. But I think that's where the church kind of comes in to meet this need. And, and how do we do that? Well, <laughs> I'm getting there, I promise. Um, how does this relate to artisan, right? That's kind of what, this is the the point of my message. I know we were all kind of hoping it'd be like a fun day. Both the pastors are out of town and, you know, I'm the substitute teacher, but it's not more fun. (laughs) It's probably significantly less, but um, just to, so, but we want to know how all of this kind of leads to where we fit in, right? I, um, I helped to coach my son's baseball team this season. And um, because he's not here, I can say that they were the bad news bears of small-town baseball. And the poor things, they really tried hard. And I don't know that half of them had ever seen a baseball game before coming in. My son has, and so, you know, it's, it was a very um, challenging season. But so we're at this game. I'm coaching third base. Um, Gavin, my son, was up to bat. There was a runner on first and second. And this was actually a game that they stood a chance to win. They were, I mean, within runs of winning this game. And it was towards the end of the season, so they needed it, you know. And um, so, so Gavin's at bat, and as soon as the bat hit that ball, I knew, you know, it was, you know, it was in the park, but it was a beautiful hit out to you know, left center. And he, and so as soon as I heard the bat hit the ball, the kid on second base, I'm telling him, as soon as, you know, Brandon, go home, just go home. I didn't even look at, you know, just go home, go home. And so I'm, and I'm, you know, he's looking at me and we're making eye contact. And I'm saying, Brandon, go home, go home, go home. And he gets to third base and he stops. He said, Brandon, what are you doing? Go home, go home. He says, my name's not Brandon. <laughs> so it did not matter that. I was sending him home. It was that he wanted to know that he was supposed to be going home, <laughs> right? So we can be called, we can be heading in the right direction, but we need an identity, right, to know that we are being called to do something specific. Um, and in true artisan style, I'm not going to tell us what to do. <laughs> I'm going to kind of hope to lead us in the direction of asking the right questions. And how do we determine what to do, right? I know that so many people here are really active in their communities and are um, constantly aware of this, you know, the, the need for social justice and things like that. And, um, and that's part of what makes artisan artisan. And how we move forward with that and how, we, how do we do this, how do we kind of combine our experiences and our stories. We talked in the beginning about, you know, these few people and their stories and their backgrounds. How do we do this? How do we, how do we bring all of our stories together to determine the direction that artisan can go in. Like I said, let's just, you know, this holistic approach, in embracing these root causes of injustice with some of these root injustices themselves, how do we, where do we fit in? How can we make this work? I think we make this work in the same way that um, holistic approaches makes everyone, someone who's under oppression work. And that means we combine experience, we combine our stories and determine where to go. And that takes an element of faith because, you know, we could come up here and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to do a homeless outreach. 
and we are. And we're going to do an outreach to um, um, uh, battered women. Okay, we can do that. And we can, and keep in mind this idea of restoring right relationship. This is not just, this is not just people who are oppressed by poverty and education and health care. It's, you know, people who have been distanced from the church because of, you know, because of their sexuality or because of their um, job or their, you know, um, anything that makes people feel unwelcome with the church. How do we restore those right relationships? We're going to give kind of, a, I know Scott had said that I would kind of map out the next year in, in artisans meeting this call. And that's what I'll try and do. There's going to be um, three kind of components to how we move forward as a church. Like I said, what my goal is, you know, and what I, I hope we can all kind of rally around is this idea that as a, as a kind of a corporate unit, as a, as a unit, as a community, we determine where artisan is called to in the vein of social justice. And that doesn't mean that we just kind of sit around and hope that something comes along. That means we take action and we move forward and we see what kind of comes along the way. And there's an element of faith there. There's an element of faith in saying, we don't know where this is going to end up, but at the same time, we know that we're going in the right direction. So three components to how artisan will um, get there. (laughs) Education. One of the it seems, you know, painfully obvious that the main reason why people more, aren't more involved in justice initiatives is just because we just don't understand things. I mean, I can't, I learned more starting a job working in the social work field in two weeks working with community organizations and the welfare office and things like that than I had ever known about any of that stuff in my entire life. Um, so we're going to, in, in, in kind of attacking that you know, learning issue. We're going to have quarterly, if the need or the demand is greater, we'll increase that. We're going to do quarterly um, kind of informational meetings. So in September will be our first one. I think it's September 28th. I think (laughs) it'll be on the calendar. Um, And we're going to discuss poverty, just poverty and local, locally. So how does one get to that place? How does one come out of that place? What are the resources? You know, Going, again, going back to those first, you know, those people that I introduced you to earlier, you know, we all, because I did, had some ideas of these people when we first heard about them, right? And um, knowing a little bit more about kind of the, the system that they have to navigate right now is, will help us kind of, de- uh, you know, develop our awareness and our understanding of who these people are and where we can lead them. So, and that's just an example. So, in you know, um, other issues... Um, uh, you know, domestic violence, um, homelessness, things like that, unemployment, all, all those kinds of things. We can, um, you know, we'll, and as the, you know, and please, my email address is on, you know, the backs of your bulletins and everything. Please ask me if there's, the, if there's issues that you think, gosh, this is something that's always intrigued me or I want to know more about this, you know, we'll, we'd be happy to talk about that. And those, those quarterlies are going to be at the old toad because it's fun to talk about those things with a good beer. Um, and the second component to how artisan is going to move forward is in preparation, preparation for what's coming next. Where, where are we going to be led to? Well, we have, if you go back to where the coat room is, (laughs) 
that has been cleared out and has been made into a storage area for all the collections that we have been receiving through um, my group that um, I've been involved in over the last year and some of the stuff that um, folks here have been donating and stuff too. This is a joint effort, um, and all of that stuff is back there. You can take a look. So, again, we've got food, we've got clothes, we've got hygiene products, um, things like that, so that when it is time to meet a relief, <laughs> to relieve someone where their need is, we are ready for that. Um, and the third component will be is, you know, action. So we've got education, preparation, and action. The action part will be... Um, will develop over time. We have, we're going to have Wednesday meetings. I think we're doing them the first Wednesday of the month after August. So there's a meeting in August, and then I think we're going to go with the first Wednesday of the month going forward. So, and this means anybody all the time, this isn't a special group, this is a corporate thing. Anybody, anytime can show up to these meetings, be part of the discussion, you know, again, using all of our stories and our experiences to determine where we can, how we can move forward um, to fulfill this call that we are clearly called to. And kind of understanding this, this idea that holistic approaches, I do want to read one more thing before I forget. Just to um, emphasize that idea that these holistic approaches combined with, you know, um, uh, a faith base tend to work. <clears throat> Faith-based programs appear particularly successful in helping to transform people with deep-seated social problems, such as drug addicts and prisoners. Two independent studies of Teen Challenge's Christ-Centered Rehabilitation Program, conducted 20 years apart in two different states, found strikingly similar and remarkably positive results. Two-thirds of Teen Challenge graduates remain drug-free. About three-fourths are employed, and over two-thirds become involved in a church. Another rigorous study confirmed that Teen Challenge graduates were significantly more likely to remain drug-free and employed than graduates of a secular, publicly funded rehabilitation program. Graduates of Interchange, a, faith, a faith-permeated prison unit in Texas run by Prison Fellowship, were 60% less likely to be reincarcerated than a control group. Additional studies of Prison Fellowship and other prison ministries have drawn similar conclusions about their impact. Holistic approaches work. And... As we kind of utilize the idea of learning more about oppression, about injustice, about the issues that uh, impact our local community, and as we prepare (laughs) for how to handle um, ourselves and um, the people that we care for going forward, we're going to be constantly working at um, determining, you know, how our identity and how we fit in. And at the end of this, you know, the idea is to kind of take a year and be really focused in looking at this stuff. And the, um, at the end of this, if, we seem, if it seems as though we're on to something, which I kind of think we will be, um, if we can kind of systematically put this into, you know, a, a unit that's actually working and that seems like we're actually producing fruit, um, um, the idea would be that Artisan would then be able able to kind of birth like a, a community development organization out of this. And um, that would be, again, something that is uh, community kind of motivated and community supported and, um, and hopefully makes kind of a difference in the community around us. And I was hoping, I do, I've got seven minutes to leave time for questions. <laughs> I know this is kind of a lot. It kind of, it's, it's 
it's a lot, but I figured I'd try and leave some time open for, yes, Ben Proctor. Okay. So, okay. So you're. So the question is, I'm saying this, repeating this for the for the podcast. So your question is, um, for people who are severely mental ill, the rehabilitation process that is in place tends to be unrealistic, right? It doesn't work, right? Yeah. Right. Right, right. So, okay, so what's the question? Is there a new way we can address that? <laughs> um, well, you know, what's interesting is, and I almost read this but didn't, but the second leading cause of homelessness, <laughs> according to the housing report, is, people, is a result of people being released from an institution without a plan for permanent housing. And that's something, I mean, housing is a huge issue for people who are mentally ill, you know. Um, is there a new way to approach this? I don't know. Um, in terms of, you know, that you're, talking, you're talking about combining something that's more clinical. If you're dealing with, you know, mental illness, there, there has to be a clinical component. But what could, could be offered in, in this way of viewing things in a more, more holistic way is um, some sort of community resource for people who are in re rehabilitation programs but don't have that community connection, don't have a, a faith-based connection um, and where they can go and feel comfortable and not feel like they're being patient all the time, especially for people who are severely mental ill, right? So, so the idea being that they, they are constantly being cared for, being treated, being clinically, you know, paid attention to. They need to find somewhere where maybe even they can contribute, right? You know, I mean, part of, part of justice in terms of restoring right relationship is not just you know, I'm up here and you're down here and I have something you need and I can offer to you. There's, we need to raise <laughs> to the point where we are all at the same level. There is something that even a severely mentally ill person has to offer in a community. Does that help at all? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And just be a person. Yeah. And just be human. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. What's your name? Paul. So Paul just said that um, one thing to look at is uh, the fact that because there's so many resources out there, how can we, um, you know, would it be helpful to add as a component to what we do in Justice Outreach, a central location for, I need to go somewhere, but I don't know where to go, right? And that has been something that we've actually talked about um, before, which is, you know, I was kind of, I was talking with somebody about this. This is going back years ago. And one thing she said to me was, she said, don't, maybe you don't need to create something new. Maybe you just need to pool together what exists out there <laughs> and just utilize, you know, what's already there. Um, so that's a fantastic idea. And that's something that would be great to work on just because a lot of people know different, you know, resources and are either involved in them in some way. Um, but that's a great, even if it's something that's like on a sheet that people can take with them. So if, you know, the question comes up, yeah, great, great idea. Anybody else? Tim Page. <laughs> I don't believe it. Right. Yeah. And I think um, that's kind of going back to the idea of getting to those those root causes for injustice is is not is not so much that somebody is in a place where they can't do. But our our system does tend to give (laughs) without expecting, you know, you know, and and I don't want to say return because it's not a matter of giving and, you know, giving something out and expecting a return. But it's but that is what gets people out of a place of this cyclical need, you know, this, this place of need. 
So what does empower somebody, I think what empowers somebody is having a foundation, is having a center. Oftentimes that is faith. Oftentimes people find that in faith. And um, because what that center provides is something to build from and something to fall back on. So I think having that, restoring those, even, you know, one of those root causes being the social connection breakdown, even what Ben was talking about, people who are mentally ill that really just want to feel like normal people and feel connected, feel like they're part of a community, you know, that's empowering. You know, I mean, that's empowering, whether it's that you're, you're giving somebody the tools to handle the situation they're in, or you're giving someone, you know, leading them towards the faith that's actually going to sustain them when these situations come up going forward. So, yeah, empowerment is huge. I mean, that's, that's yeah, you, you make someone feel like they can actually change themselves, and you're 80% there. Mm-hmm. Say, I'm sorry, say that again. Yeah. Right, right. Right. Yes. So Joanna just said, as this is the idea being something that this is people people receive but also give back i mean and i I think that's that's yeah that's that's crucial to someone's that development piece of things and and the the rehabilitation and development you can rehabilitate somebody into getting them out of that place where you know they can actually feel like they have the power to control their um circumstances and um the and development actually carries that out and that's when they say like you're talking about and then they're going to go help their neighbor and then they're you know yeah Anybody else? No? Okay. So, um, like I said, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm available and, um, oh, actually, I'll um, finish with this, though. Uh, next week, we'll just kind of get moving right away. <laughs> next week, we are, um, I don't know if you guys remember several months ago, we had a food in bottle and can drive here, which was actually really successful. Um, and so we are going to take a lot of the materials that we collected, and we are going to head over to Washington Square Park at 10 o'clock. It's from 10 to 2 on Saturday, June 30th, July 30th. Um, if you want to come and help bring stuff over, we'll be meeting here about 8.30 to load cars. We'll be leaving here at 9. There'll be coffee and donuts and things like that. And throughout this coming week, I and whoever else is interested um, will be handing out these handy little flyers to where, um, you know, if you happen to drive, like, around the inner loop at, you know, rush hour, you might, you know, notice the guys with the signs and things like that. Hand this to them. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be going, you know, there's, uh, we'll probably head under, you know, where the, sub- the old subway tunnels are, things like that. There's a few other spots that, you know, we go to. Um, to let um, folks know that this is an opportunity to come get some food. So again, we're gonna we're gonna try and provide some relief food, clothing, t-shirts and socks and food and things like that. And um, but the idea is that it'll be in more of this kind of in a park setting where we can come and hopefully there's enough people. We can have some conversations and just kind of start that bridge building. You know, just kind of get there. And again, like I said, we're just gonna start on this path of seeing where we fit in. 
<clears throat> so that is next Saturday, July 30th. Um, the event is from 10 to 2. Again, we'll be here at about 8.30, leaving at 9 o'clock. If you want to carpool, you know, there's not a ton of parking right around there. Um, and that is also, there's a link to the event, I think, on the Artisan Facebook page, right? Yes, I think so. Um, okay. So as we, um, let's kind of, nobody has any other questions? So let's close in prayer, and we'll, um, and as we close in prayer, kind of bring to, um, kind of prepare ourselves for the communion table, and, you know, like I said, we kind of started off with this understanding of justice being this right relationship existing between God, man, church, you know, all of that, and how Jesus and the cross actually just exemplified all of that in, in one act. Um, so let's just remember that. God, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the cooler temperature as well. And uh, I pray that what we've talked about here is, uh, is enough to get us started to find the calling that you have for us specifically as a community and specifically for this city. <clears throat> Be with us as we discover more about ourselves and about each other and about the community around us. In your name, amen. So as you're ready, um, uh, the communion table is open. We'll be open for the rest of the day. Um, bread, wine, and juice. Just dip a piece of the bread in the wine or juice and uh, come when you're ready.